Hey, this is Jerry Aiken, pastor at Pierce Chapel in Columbus, Georgia. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast, wherever you may be. I hope that you find the word presented here engaging, informative, and challenging in your walk with Christ. Please check us out online at piercechapel.com. The scripture today comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. This passage comes from the 11th chapter, verses 17 through 29. Now, I don't praise you as I give the following instruction, because when you meet together, it does more harm than good. First of all, when you meet together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I partly believe it. It's necessary that there are groups among you to make it clear who is genuine. So when you get together in one place, it isn't to eat the Lord's meal. Each of you goes ahead and eats a private meal. One person goes hungry while another is drunk. Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you look down on God's churches and humiliate those who have nothing? What can I say to you? Will I praise you? No, I don't praise you in this. I received a tradition from the Lord, which I also handed on to you. On the night on which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. After giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same thing with the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Every time you drink it, Do this to remember me. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you broadcast the death of the Lord until he comes. This is why those who eat the bread or drink the cup of the Lord inappropriately will be found guilty of the Lord's body and blood. Each individual should test himself or herself and eat from the bread and drink from the cup in that way. Those who eat and drink without correctly understanding the body are eating and drinking their own judgment. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Sometimes we do things that become a habit and we fail to examine like we should, why we do them. Maybe we start off knowing why we do them, but they become so routine that we don't take the time to really think about it. We get in our cars, we adjust the mirrors. There's a reason for that, right? We want to be able to see, but it just sort of becomes a habit, and we don't really think about the why behind the what necessarily every time we do it. Or maybe when you get up in the morning, you get ready to go out for the day, you brush your teeth, hopefully. Or put your teeth in. <laughs> and maybe you've, you're, you're not necessarily thinking about why you do it. You just habitually do it. But it's important to remind ourselves why we do those things. Because if we don't, then eventually we may stop doing them altogether. Or not doing them correctly, just half-heartedly, and that sort of defeats the purpose. There are things we do in the church that the same could be said about. Do we know why we do the things that we do? And so this week we're starting a a new sermon series 
on how we experience God's grace in the things that we do. Now, I've been telling y'all for a few months now that no matter what direction this church chooses to go into the future, that I will remain a Methodist pastor and a Methodist preacher in my theology and in the way that I serve because it's at the core of who I am. And my prayer for the church is that we will hold on to that Methodist heritage and that's, that's part of our roots, it's part of our identity. So we're looking at what John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, has to say about what he calls the means of grace. John Wesley says the means of grace are outward signs, words, or actions ordained of God and appointed for this end to be the ordinary channels whereby he might convey to men prevenient, justifying, or sanctifying grace. So let's let's unpack that a little bit. John Wesley believed that we experience grace at every turn in our lives. Through every season, God's grace is available to us. There's this thing called prevenient grace, which means God's grace is at work in you and around you before you even know it. Before you come to know who Jesus Christ is, maybe someone's praying for you. Maybe God has put somebody in your life that has invited you to church. Maybe somebody is trying to tell you of God's love or display God's love for you. Maybe there's a desire in your own heart to to know a little bit more about God or to see what this Jesus thing is all about. All of that is prevenient grace. It's God working on you before you even recognize it. And then there's justifying grace, which is when you come to the realization, I can't do this on my own. I'm a mess and I need Jesus. I can't save myself. I can't, be, I can't ever be good enough to, to get to heaven. I can't even be good enough to be on this earth who God intends for me to be. I'm just, I'm just too broken. And hopefully we all come to that realization at some point that we need Jesus and we recognize that Jesus has paid the price for us. And we put our faith in him. We put our trust in him and we, we allow him to come into our lives and we say, okay, be Lord of my life. Be the savior of my life because I can't do this on my own. That's repentance, and that's where we experience God's justifying grace. And we are made right with God, not because of anything we've done, but because of grace. But it doesn't stop there. John Wesley said there was sanctifying grace, and this is the grace that is at work within us and around us throughout the rest of our lives. We're not content to just say, okay, Jesus is my Savior, and then move on. At Pierce Chapel, we have this wonderful uh, mission statement that says that we are developing mature disciples. We are committed to developing mature disciples, which means we're not content to just say we're justified and that's it. We're going to continue to grow, and we're going to continue to grow together, and it's God's grace that allows us to do that. So John Wesley said we experience all these different levels of grace through the means of grace. And these are are ordinary acts. There's nothing powerful about it in and of itself. But when we do this together with open and longing hearts, God's grace comes flooding through. And we experience his grace on a very deep level. This is important for us as we come back to the fundamentals of who we are. Like I said, we need to know the why behind 
what we do. And today in particular, we are looking at Holy Communion. Why do we do it? How do we experience grace when we do that? Where is the grace in it? How is God's grace made available through it? Coming back to these fundamentals, it's very important for us to not understand who we are as a church or who we are as Methodists, but just who we are in Christ, who we are as children of God. We stand at a point in time, a point in history where there is uncertainty and there's upheaval and there's crisis within the Methodist churches. There is arguing and there's factions being formed and, and, um, and this can be very discouraging. But we are at that point in the cycle. That's really what it comes down to. In speaking recently with the, uh, the lady at, who's the director at uh, the Methodist Museum on, at Epworth-by-the-Sea on St. Simon's Island, she said, yeah, this is just part of our 50-year cycle. If you look back at Methodist history, you see during the Civil War, the Methodist Church was in crisis and the Free Methodist Church was born. And then you see about 50 years later as the church went through Great Depression, the Methodist church was in in crisis. And and then there was was this revival that happened in the Methodist church and, and the Methodist Episcopal Church was formed. And then in 1968, in the midst of the, um, the, the, um, the civil rights organizations and protests and all of that was going on, the Methodist church was in crisis and the United Methodist Church was formed. So this is nothing new as part of the cycle. And every time we get to a point where there's crisis, there's also renewal. And all you have to do is look at what happened on the campus of Asbury College a few months ago. A bunch of teenagers, early 20s, college students, became hungry for God to be poured out among them. They weren't worried about polity and and the politics behind everything. They just wanted to experience an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and they did. And that revival took place there on the campus, and then it started spreading to other campuses. I've been reading this uh, fascinating book recently called The Next Methodism. And, um, and it's compiled by a group of essays and, and articles by all these other Methodist uh, writers, authors, preachers, and, and they're, they're talking about this cycle and how there's a need for revival. There's a hunger for revival and renewal in the Methodist churches. And uh, one of the writers in there, Jessica Legron, says that uh, many are contemplating walking away from connectionalism altogether because they never expected it to crumble around them. And then she starts to think about the pilgrims, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, you remember I preached about this. We talked about the disciples who were walking with Jesus and didn't recognize him. And then when he broke the bread in front of them, their eyes were open and they recognized who he was. And Jessica Legron thinks about this and she says, like the pilgrims of Emmaus, the dejected disciples may once again find that what appear to be the darkest hours are actually a turning point. One vital key to Methodism's rebirth will be found in the parallel to the Emmaus revelation. The lifeblood of Methodism will return only with a centrality of the word and table. Meaning, when we come back to the why, when we come back to the roots of who we are, when we gather at the table together, 
when we come back to the Word of God together. And we understand why that is important to us and why we need to experience it together. Then we will experience God's grace on a whole new level. We will experience revival and the renewal that we long for and that we crave. Now, John Wesley believed this. That's why he was called a Methodist. He didn't actually start a new denomination. He, he remained Anglican until he died. But he was called a Methodist because communion was part of his method. And he kept saying, we need to do this over and over and over again and look at why we're doing it and how we're doing it. It was fundamental. And whether we're Methodist or we're Baptist or we're anything else, we need to come back to the fundamentals of our faith and examine why do we do what we do? And how do we do it? And how do we do it the right way in a way that honors God? If you've ever seen The Karate Kid, you know that Daniel was taught to wax a car before he was taught to fight. He was taught to paint a fence before he was taught to fight. And he got aggravated by this. He said, Mr. Miyagi, teach me karate. And he had to learn these fundamentals first. And throughout the movies, there's all these different Karate Kid movies, and then there's a new series called Cobra Kai. And, and, and Daniel, over and over again, he kind of loses his way. And he starts looking at other methods, other philosophies, other ideas, and, and other techniques he wants to learn. And what, what he realizes is he has to keep coming back to those fundamentals of waxing the car, of painting the fence, because in there are the fundamentals of the karate that he needs, that he really long for, longs for. In the same way as we long for renewal, and revitalization. As we long to be in deeper connection and communion with Jesus, we have to come back to the fundamentals of what we believe and why. We have to look at what we do at the table, what we do when we gather, what we do when we read the scriptures, what we do when we pray, and look at how and why God's grace is made available to us in those moments. This wasn't something new that John Wesley introduced. He was really just regurgitating what Paul was saying to the Corinthians. In the passage that we read, Paul says, you're taking communion. You're, you're doing the Lord's Supper, but you're doing it wrong. And I don't commend you. I don't praise you in the way you're doing it for a few reasons. Paul says, first of all, it's hypocritical. You're acting like it's, it's in communion with each other. But there's all these divisions among you. And he says, now I realize there's going to be groups. And of course, churches will always have some divisions and some disagreements. But when we come to communion and we let those divisions deeply divide who we are, then we're being hypocritical and taking it. Because we recognize that we don't come to this table for any reason except that God has invited us. It is by God's grace alone we are called to the table. So if it's by God's grace we are called to the table and we experience God's grace at the table, how can we look at each other who we are in disagreement with and remain divided? How can we not share God's grace with each other in that moment as we receive it? Grace isn't meant to be hoarded or bottled up. It's not meant to be something we just hang on to for ourselves. Grace is meant to be shared with each other. So Paul says you're coming together and remaining divided and it doesn't make sense. 
And then Paul says, look at why you're coming together. Just like John Wesley said, know the why behind the what. Are you coming together just because it's a tradition? These are important questions for us. And if, in a few moments, I'll invite you to the table. Why are you coming up? I hope that you will come up. But think about why. Is it just because it's a tradition? The thing about traditions is they don't make sense if you don't know why, why you're doing them. Just because we've always done something doesn't mean we always should do it. Sometimes we always do something that's very stupid and it needs to be stopped. But tradition usually has a reason. There's a reason for us doing it. So we have to look at what that reason is. Not just do it because we've always done it. Do we do, we do it? Do we receive communion just because we want to feel good about ourselves? Well, that's a nice byproduct. But we don't feel good about ourselves because of anything we've done. We feel good about who we are because Christ has redeemed us. We've experienced grace in that moment. So we can feel good about ourselves, but not because of ourselves. Do we come and, and share in communion because we see it as a tribute? Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So is this just a symbolic act? This represents the blood. This represents the body. So we're going to remember Jesus. Well, yes, but it's so much more than that, too. When Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, he didn't mean that in the way that we often think of memory. We think of memory as something that we filed back here in the back of our mind, something that happened back in our past a long time ago, and, and we're just we're going to recall it. We're going to think about it and be like, oh, yeah. I remember that. The Jewish people had a different understanding of memory or doing something in remembrance. When Jesus said this to his disciples, they were having the Passover meal. And the Passover meal was a time when the Hebrew people remembered that God had saved the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. But it was more than just remembering the way we do it. Jewish people had this understanding of, of remembering. They call it remembering our future, which sounds like an oxymoron. Do we have the, the slide of that? The remembering the future. They're gathered at the table. They're celebrating the Passover. What they're doing is they're recognizing God has done a work in our past, and that same work is being done right now, and it's going to carry us into the future. So it's more than just a memory. It's claiming it as an eternal moment, an, a moment of grace and freedom and deliverance that is always available to us. That's how they view the Passover. And so when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, he was saying the same thing. This isn't just a tribute. Think about me when you do these things. No, he was saying, this is an eternal moment. My grace is being made available for you right now. And I want you to remember that every time you do this, that my grace is there for you right now and will carry you into the future. He took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. And he restructured our debt. You see, God is a covenant God. And he had made covenants with Israel all along. And those covenants had been violated and broken 
over and over again. And Jesus came and through this act of communion, he said, I'm pouring out a new covenant for you. This is a new thing, a restructuring of your debt, a forgiveness of your debt, a renegotiation. And so I'm inviting you to step into it. Now, if you've ever paid off your credit cards, you know what a great feeling that is. If you've ever had someone forgive your credit card debt or renegotiate it so that it was lower, you know what a really great freedom that is. And maybe you've even done this afterwards. Cut the cards up, never going to use them again. I've done that a few times. It doesn't work. The truth is our computers and our cell phones store that information. And so we can just log on to Amazon and say, oh yeah, the card ending and such and such, I'll use that again. And we don't even have to have our physical cards and we get in debt all over again. Well, it's the same thing with this new covenant and Christ knows that. That's why he said this is an eternal covenant because I'm, I'm renegotiating it. I'm forgiving you of your debt, but you're gonna have to constantly come back to this moment. And so we come to the table and we say, Lord, forgive us. And he does. And we are made whole. We are made well. Put in right relationship with him and with each other. But then we go and mess it up again, don't we? And that's why we have to keep coming back. And that's why it becomes routine for us. But it is our constant, it is our constant desire, our constant realization that we are in constant need of his grace that keeps bringing us back. And like I shared with the children, the most miraculous thing about this is it doesn't just make us one with Christ by his grace. It makes us one with each other. When we come up here, we come up here together. The word communion is like the word community. It can't happen alone. You can sit at home all by yourself and take communion, but it's not really communion, is it? If it's just you, it's, it's something else. Maybe it's a, a ritual, maybe it's a tribute, maybe it's, it's whatever, but it's not communion because communion involves community. We come here to experience God's grace together so that God's grace can be at work in us and then through us to each other. Grace is not meant to be held on to. We share it. And that's why communion is such a powerful, powerful practice. The invitation from the table doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from Pierce Chapel. It doesn't come from any denomination. The invitation to the table comes from the risen and present Christ. Christ who is alive. Christ who is eternal. And Christ who is constantly inviting to his table, those who love him and earnestly repent of their sins and seek to live in peace with one another. Holy communion is a gift from God to the church. And it's an act that we as the community of faith are blessed to participate in. And by responding to God's invitation, we affirm and deepen our personal relationship with him through Jesus Christ. But we also deepen our relationships and our commitments to each other and to the mission of the church, which is the body of Christ. 
all of that through this one single act of coming and receiving these gifts of bread and wine. Thank you again for tuning in to our podcast. Please be sure to subscribe and check us out online at piercechapel.com. And now may you know the peace, the power, and the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ in your life. Go to love, go to serve, go in peace. Amen.